Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Welcome to America's Heroes Group on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. I am Vietnam veteran host Cliff Kelly. America's Heroes Group is a live streaming podcast, global platform, radio, print, and digital media broadcast show that empowers change agents through intentionally disseminating information, resources, and referrals to empower our military population. And welcome to America's Heroes Group. And this week we have the roundtable with our partner, Jesse Brown, VA Works. April is Sexual Assault and Autism Awareness Month. Today is Saturday, April 9th, 2022. You just heard the governor of Talk Radio, Cliff Kelly. I'm the co-host, Sean Claiborne. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And today we have a serious topic we want to talk about. We're going to hear a lot about military sexual trauma. We have a panelist on our show today, and that's Dr. Eileen Cocky, a clinical psychologist in the PTS clinic, PTSD clinic and serves as a military sexual trauma coordinator for the Jesse Brown VA. So how are you doing, Eileen? You lost your audio. You got to get, get you on, the, on their audio. <clears throat> Try that again. There we go. We got you. Hi. Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks very much. How are you today? Doing very good. Very good. I was, I was able to find you on YouTube, and also, as by the way, people that are listening, make sure you stream us live on Facebook, because also we are on Facebook, we're on platforms like YouTube, and you can leave comments on Facebook live and ask questions, and we'll do our best to get to your questions, and I'll still respond to things that, you're, that are concerns to you. This is a very serious topic, and a lot of people may want to hear about this. So we're going to talk about something very, very uh, sensitive now, you are a clinical psychologist in, PT, in the PTSD clinic. Uh, you're a military sexual assault coordinator at the Jesse Brown VA. You have 13 years of experience in the field treating psychological and trauma, particularly PTSD and MST. When we talk about PTSD, we, it's a nomenclature. In the military, we have nomenclatures. We have names we put, we put on things. So in, in the civilians, we know the words rape, sexual assault. However, in service members and veterans, we know or we kind of ha- have the idea of MST, military sexual trauma. What is the difference? Um, there, there isn't a difference. Um, and, and I would say that um, the term military sexual trauma is something that uh, can be more encompassing. Um, and, and it is something that has been codified by, by U.S. code and, and law um, to help us understand um, you know, what service members might have experienced and who might be eligible for certain resources based upon that. So simply speaking, 
included in the definition of military sexual trauma is unwanted sexual contact, which could include rape or could include unwanted contact of, you know, just um, other types. Um, but it also includes verbal sexual harassment um, that occurred during somebody's time of military service. So as you can see, that definition is, is quite broad and might include a lot of different kinds of experiences that somebody might have during their time of uh, military service. So the trauma that's involved with that, is that, a, is that a diagnosis or is that something, is that, or is that an event per se? Yes, good question. It is an event. Um, and what we know with trauma that's experienced by individuals, how, how people react to that, um, and what types of symptoms or concerns they might have um, subsequent to that can really vary. Hmm. Um, so it is an experience, a definition of an experience, rather than a diagnosis. Um, oh, wow. It, yeah. wow. That's interesting, because now I relate to it as like someone hitting you over the head, like you had blunt force trauma you have military sexual trauma. So something actually happening to you. So psychologically, what is the process when someone experiences that kind of trauma? What do they go through? Uh, That's a very good question. You know, and I I think at the time of an event, people can respond in a number of different ways. So we know that oftentimes um, what can be common at the time of trauma is the fight or flight or freeze response. And so um, those are that's kind of biologically hardwired. That's often how we respond at the time when we are threatened or in danger um, as humans. And so that can include a lot of different ways that, that the human or the, the veteran might respond at the time of an incident. Um, but then subsequent to that, um, you know, how we respond in the weeks, months, and years after that can really vary greatly. And, but we do know that um, the large majority of individuals who experience trauma um, recover, and that's kind of the, the more, most common response um, is recovery. Um, but we know that there also can be things that continue to uh, cause distress for those individuals hmm. um, quite some time after the event. Wow. Because that's weird. I mean, it's eye-opening to me because when you think of it now as an event, so I'm now I'm thinking, well, okay, and also the, the flight or response, the flight, the fight or flight response. So now you're thinking about, okay, well, someone you hear stories from the from the legal world, and you hear stories, especially high profile cases where someone has a complaint about uh, sexual assault or harassment. A person might say, well, how did you react? And the, based on the person's response, because it doesn't fit the the um, uh, storytelling narrative of, well, you didn't fight back, you didn't say no, you froze, or you did this, or you did that then you are somehow, you know, you're not, you weren't violated in any way. That your response was inappropriate for, you know, this type of action taken against you. So so Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? Does that make sense? Uh, Do you see that a lot um, when people tell you their stories? Well, you know, I think that um, when we think about survivors of military sexual trauma, we we know that um, how somebody responded at the time of the event, there's a lot of complexity to that and a lot of things that are influencing that. And so how somebody responded is really um, not of consequence, you know, when it comes to accessing care from MST, you know, in the VA. And um, how how anyone responds at the time is, is okay and is valid. And so we want to make sure that people know that when they're coming in for care, there is no judgment or, um, you know, differences or consequences for how they might have responded at the time. We also know that people might not come forward and talk about these experiences for months, years, or even decades, you know, after the fact. Um, I, I sometimes work with Vietnam combat era veterans who 
um, are just disclosing this experience for the first time, you know, in this this past year. So um, I think that there's a lot of um, just support and encouragement um, for coming forward if this is a part of your experience, whenever that feels comfortable for the veteran, and knowing that you're going to feel supported um, at the VA if you seek care, and that you don't need to have any any proof um, or any justification or anything of that sort. Um, we are just here to help as an institution and make sure that you get access to services that are that are useful. Hmm. Now, is it still pervasive as in the numbers when we say that one in four women suffer in the military suffer from some kind of sexual harassment, sexual assault? One in a hundred men is that still accurate? Actually, um, those are our estimates that we are updating all the time um, with the MST National Support Team. And I should say, as a qualifier, that we know that this is an event that is commonly underreported because of some of those concerns and issues, fear about coming forward. But our best estimates currently indicate that one in three women veterans and one in 50 male veterans report a history of MST. And, um, yeah. So I also think it's important to highlight that this is something that's occurred throughout all different service eras um, and also happens um, to male and female veterans. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't doesn't discriminate when it comes to um, who's been a survivor of it. So tell us how, because we're halfway through and I want to make sure people get the information on how they get in contact with uh, the, the Jesse Brown VA in order to get help and also to when what types of things should they um, prepare for, or uh, we'll get to that question a little bit later. But first, give us what, how do we get a hold of you and how do we get connected to these types of services at the Jesse Brown VA? Yes. Um, so one way that they can get connected is um, by calling the MST coordination phone line. And so that is 312-569-6784 or MSTI are those last four digits. And so they can call that number and leave a message uh, to request a callback or request information. And I receive those messages directly and I get back to people. Um, and that is a top priority to make sure that um, people who are reaching out for information, um, get a response promptly, um, and their concerns are addressed. Now, you, met, you touched on a topic, um, and this is something that comes up a lot with military benefits, and that's entitlement and eligibility. So is there um, is, is that a factor in trying to get help? It is, um, but I think it is in a good way, because uh, there's actually well, been legislation well first, But first, passed. back us up and uh, explain what that is, so people that kind of get an idea. First, because some people yes. may have never tried to get any access to the VA because they, they already sure. feel like there's a brick wall there. So, Right. Um, and so eligibility for the VA um, often requires veteran status, um, active duty time served, 24 consecutive months of service. Um, but when it comes to receiving or accessing care for military sexual trauma, um, these are individuals who often can access care or have increased eligibility um, such that even if they don't qualify for full medical benefits enrollment, they can access MST-related care, military sexual trauma-related care, um, and get care for that, even if they're not eligible for full medical benefit enrollment. So you don't have to. And be, so that would include. You don't have to have insurance yeah. or anything like that, or be covered nope. by any kind of medical plan. Do they do not need that? And um, in particular, as well, when it comes to military sexual trauma-related care, um, there would be no copay for those services because um, U.S code and law has ensured that those services can be received free of charge. Wow, that's really good. That's good to hear. Mm-hmm. So it's something, it's a, a silver lining in the topic 
Um, but what are the levels of care at the Jesse Brown VA? So how does that, what is that process like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we were talking earlier about how MST is something that is an experience rather than a particular diagnosis. So one of the first um, things that might occur is, is getting a sense for what kinds of concerns or issues might be coming up for that person. And so that might be, you know, relationship challenges, depression, anxiety, substance use. Maybe it's post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. It could also be physical health issues like chronic migraine headaches. Um, and so depending upon what types of these concerns are coming up for the person, we certainly have outpatient medical care that can help address those medical concerns. We have outpatient mental health services. Um, we have the Beyond MST app, which is available on Android and iPhone platforms. You can download that, you know, at your home and at your convenience and access that educational resources and, and tools, um, you know, anytime you want. Um, but outpatient mental health services, I have extraordinary colleagues who are waiting to, you know, really um, provide care and assistance. But for some individuals, they might also need um, residential treatment or intensive outpatient treatment, which can also be available. I also like to just make note of the Veterans Crisis Line as well, which is a 24-hour resource that anyone can call if they're in a crisis or they're needing additional support. And I can provide that number, which is one 800 273 8255. So walk me through the process. So a person calls up to get help, and then so what's the first step and what can they expect when they go through the process of trying to get recovery or get help or treatment? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and so I think one question is about that is whether they're already enrolled in VA health care. And if they are, um, then they can talk to their um, existing providers and request a referral, or they can call my MST coordination line directly um, to get connected. Um, but if somebody isn't enrolled in VA care already, um, they would likely uh, be just coming down to Jesse Brown and presenting to the um, eligibility and enrollment uh, front desk um, with your DD-214 and a picture ID. And with those resources, um, we can get the enrollment process started or the, um, you know, getting uh, in the system, if you will. And from that, um, individuals can do a same-day mental health intake uh, through the psychiatric assessment clinic. Uh, fantastic colleagues down there that are just um, really willing to do an initial intake assessment and get a better sense for what kind of services and resources might be helpful for that individual. Mm-hmm. So you, you touched on this a little bit, but I want to get more kind of more detail. So, so say a person who has never treated um, their um, their their event, I guess we call it. So and they have what types of symptoms and what types? How does it manifest themselves in, in, the, in their lives? And how do they can how can they make the connection to say you know what maybe I need to talk to somebody about my situation? You know mm-hmm. what are the, what are the, the signs that other people might be able to notice in a person's behavior that something might not be right? Um, well, I think that um, like we were saying, that can kind of vary for each individual. Um, But some things that people might report experiencing could be having unwanted memories of the event um, coming to their mind. Um, So if they find themselves kind of having a free moment um, while riding the L, you know, or um, before they're going to bed at night and having kind of memories of the event coming to their mind, those can be um, intrusion symptoms is is what we call those. Um, People can also find themselves avoiding things that are reminders. Um, so if the assault happened um, uh, or if the incident occurred um, in a, um, if there was a certain color or if there was a certain 
sound or uh, stimulus at that time. They might avoid things that are reminders of that. Mm-hmm. Um, do, are people, do people still feel stigmatized by trying to admit it, particularly with men? Is that still a common thing? Yes, um, I think it can be. Um, but I think that part of the, one of the reasons that I appreciate being here today is to really increase people's education um, and let people know, you know, that um, that there's nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to having this type of experience, that it is something that others have experienced. And we want people to feel safe coming forward and knowing that, um, you know, the VA's theme this year is, um, we believe you and we believe in you. And I think that's a hmm. good, succinct way of really saying how we want to support our veterans when it comes to this issue. I think that's really powerful, especially in light, because that was education for me to, to learn that when I thought of military sexual trauma, I thought of it as a diagnosis. I didn't think of it as an, of something that happened. So now it makes more sense, you know, mm-hmm. how people can struggle with it. You know, mm-hmm. so, and then still also so along those lines, when you, when you're with your experience and also with all the stories you've heard, um, what do you think needs to change in military culture in order to address this and, and do a better job of reducing these instances and these events? Yes, um, good question. And I, um, you know, recently, this earlier this week, was listening to a presentation kind of talking about some of the changes um, that have been in place. And so there's, you know, recent legislation and policies that are um, being implemented that help um make it so that service members have options for reporting these kinds of incidents outside their chain of command um, so they have more discretion, privacy, and safety in being able to report these kinds of incidents at the time of service, you know, when it occurs. And they also have options for making um, restricted and unrestricted reporting options. Um, So somebody can come forward anonymously or they can, you know, present with their their identity being known, um, and then there can be different options for how, um, kind of proceedings would go on from there. So, but I think that option, it, you know, more safe reporting options is really a huge um, step moving forward. Okay. So does is, are the numbers in the military as far as um, events that people have, men and women, is it higher or about the same as it's the civilian population? That's a good question. And um, I can't speak to those statistics, you know, offhand. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, like, they're a little bit they're, for women, it's about the same, but for men, it's a little bit higher, from what I understand. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if that's 100% correct still because I don't, you know, keep up the mm-hmm. data. But, but the reason why I ask that question is because it seems like oftentimes in, in, our, in the military culture, in our culture, we tend to address the, the thing after the, after the event happens, as opposed to getting ahead of it to try to change the culture or change the ideology of why do, why are people being assaulted at this rate in alarming weight, whether it's the civilian world or the military uh, world, veterans mm-hmm. or, or civilians, either way, you know, what is the, what it's like, what, what's the mentality of a, of someone or a culture that says um, this is acceptable or this is something that, or the, the, that promotes this type of type of event. Mm-hmm. I think that um, some of the elements that we current, uh, we commonly think of as being related to sexual assault are themes of power and control. Hmm. And we know that uh, the military is a place where um, the power structure um, and sort of um, command structure is something that um, can make issues of power and control complicated and can sometimes um, have individuals feel like they need to um, confer certain respect to individuals or um, follow orders. Um, it might be 
afraid to sort of um, diverge from that um, command structure. Uh, but I think that these options for reporting these events outside of one's chain of command uh, empower the the survivor um, and give them options that maybe weren't previously available. I think that's really I think it is a good step in the right direction. I would like to see more things happen on the front end. You know, if we can get more into, you know, trying to stop the, the, some of these things from before it becomes an event. So now, like I said, that's a game changer for me because now I'm thinking of this as not a diagnosis. I'm thinking of person having trauma like they're having ghosts in their mind but really it's about the event that happened so now i relate it more so now i see multi-sexual trauma as more of a violence act versus some type of psychological you know uh, uh, thing going on inside your mind um so Mm -hmm. give us once once again how do people connect with you or connect with the jesse brown vh in order to get help what are the first steps they need to do in order to reach out and try to get some of these things addressed sure um and so you know, getting enrolled in VA care um, can be a great first step. Um, and but if that's sort of complicated or issues, you know, I'm always here as a resource as the MST coordinator to help with navigate eligibility issues and enrollment. So just feel free to give a call to three one two five six nine six seven eight four three one two five six nine MSTI, and uh, we can help address the questions and get people connected. Are there any text um, options? So say when someone would just text a message or get information that way? No text messages. Um, so currently that's, it's just phone um, is the primary option we have. There's um, but, um, no, n- not, I mean, the Beyond MST app is a great resource for just getting education and information. Okay. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that's a good tool if people aren't quite ready to give a phone call. I appreciate your time. It was really inf- informational and also very informative and very empowering to know that we can get ahead of this. I appreciate your time, Doctor. Welcome back. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.